Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marshall. Good to have you along for the ride today. Uh, we have a lot to talk about and a lot of, uh, well, good news. We've got some not so great news and we're going to start out with an exhortation. You know, it's so interesting to me to watch how the culture, you, you probably found this too. The culture has changed. I mean, I, I'd like to say, you know, <laughs> Anytime you come up on a milestone birthday, um, you know, I, a couple of years ago, we, we had a really wonderful celebration for my 60th. Lisa, my wife, is the ultimate party planner, and I just I'm uh, so thrilled uh, that she to be on the receiving end of what she plans for me. I can't come close to her. I mean, her birthday's coming up, and I won't be able to match what she did for my 60th on her birthday this year, which will not be her 60th. She's well younger than me. But I, I, we look around us, and just because I'm going to be 62 in September doesn't necessarily mean that I'm the, this old codger all of a sudden who's saying, ah, get off my lawn and that type of stuff. I mean, I really honestly look at the culture around us, and I'm hoping that what God has been showing me, the things that he, I mean, he's really kind of pulled back the curtains in so many different areas over the past two, three years. I had a friend who posted something on social media the other day, my friend Terry, who listens regularly to the program, sis, love you so much. You and Don are just great encouragement to me, her husband. And um, I've just known each other for such a long time. What a great godly faith. And she posted something about the fact that she had been, uh, had, had experienced so much loss in one of the recent years. She goes, you know, I think I lost more people this past year, whatever year it was, than I have in my whole lifetime. And it's been, you know, just really challenging to, to think about the friends that we had mutually. Uh, her stepdad passed away. He was a great, you know, rock solid influence in her life. And, you know, it's something about when those things happen that kind of opens your eyes. And, and if you've experienced that kind of loss, you're shaking your head and saying, yeah, you totally understand. You get it as to why so many people are having uh, maybe these, just these come to Jesus moments. But it's interesting when... Um, when, when you do take a look at the world and see it the way it really is and not the way we want it to be, uh, it's maturity, it's wisdom, but also it's painful I mean, <laughs> to see how bad things are and also to see how wonderful it is to see how good things are in the culture. And I, I can speak to that. If you've experienced death and loss in your families, um, I completely get it, you know, that, uh, uh, th th this is the kind of thing that where you just kind of shake your head and say, yikes. I mean, uh, <laughs> it's, it is tough. Um, I'm encouraged, though, by the number of people who are launching into ministries where they're taking on issues that are really impacting people. And, um, you know, the, the fact that uh, there are Christians who are speaking up in the culture, speaking out in the culture, running for office, running for school board, dealing with topics that are tough to deal with. You know, I, I have a theory. It's purely anecdotal and unproven. It's just me, my observations. But when you see the increase in the number of kids who identify as LGBTQ, AI plus, whatever, um, something tells me that, you know, people say, well, now wait, there's always been homosexuality in the culture. We see it in biblical times and ancient times and things like that, where people have chosen to live this way. And I realize that you know, I, I get grief every time I make that comment, but I, it's purely an observation of mine that when it comes to the way you express yourself sexually, that's your choice. I mean, the, we are wired male and female. We are wired that men are to be attracted to women and female women to be attracted to men. That's the way God created us in the Garden of Eden. Anything outside of that is not God's creation. And then we got ground rules. You know, the sexual relationship is between a husband and wife, not boyfriend and girlfriend, not just a couple of buddies, you know. And, and kids have been wrestling with this in the culture for years. I mean, for generations. What do you do with those feelings? And as the culture has become more brazen in terms of putting it out there, if you will, you know, the sexual innuendo, scenes, nudity, the language, you know, the suggestive dialogue in films and stuff like that. I, I, I'm grateful that I grew up in the 60s and 70s, which was kind of a free-for-all. I don't know if I would be able to manage in the current culture. I, I pray for my grandkids all the time and, and how wonderful it is to see their innocence protected. But it's interesting to see how many Christians will pick one area of the bad in the culture and say, this is my goal. You know, and for a lot of Christians, it was homosexuality. 
And the issue with the, the homosexuality, I think, is there were a lot of kids who were wrestling with same-sex attraction. They went to the church, and the church said, no, it's wrong. And when you can finally figure that out, you know, then can, you can come back to church. But other than that, you can't. Without taking a look at one of the issues that has become a big issue for me ever since I spent a lot of time on church boards and you know, looking at how the American church does what we do, and that is the buying of buildings, the taking on of debt, the paying of large salaries, the trying to put on the spectacle and calling it the church. How is it that a church in India or a church in Afghanistan or a church in Pakistan or somewhere in sub-Saharan Africa can function on minimal donations? When Dennis Wilson and I have conversations, we were just recording a new commercial the other day. We t- he and his daughter, uh, granddaughter, Brooke, who's the marketing director at Wilson Financial, are getting ready to take a trip to Africa. They will go to Niger. They'll go to Ivory Coast. They'll be in West Africa. And they will look at some of the churches that donors, whether it be bottom line donors or Wilson Financial clients, have built in Africa. You could build a church and a parsonage for the pastor or a side building for a school or a Sunday school or whatever for about $10,000. And yet when you look at the American church and how many churches have mortgages, big mortgages and big facilities, you know, that aren't paid for, either it's we own a piece of property and we have a big mortgage on it, or we own a piece of property outright, and it's worth $20 million, and it's just sitting there because we have service twice a week. And that's something that's really become kind of a bothersome issue for me. And I was glad to see Nick Vujicic of Life Without Limbs Ministries. You know Nick, the guy who was born, no arms, no legs. Um, he's, he gave an interview to the Christian Post during the National Religious Broadcasters Convention a couple months ago. And he said, look, I I think the American church has become delusional. Most American churches aren't delusional. I mean, it's not rocket science to preach to 8 billion people. We've got so many churches coming together. We teach people how to evangelize, street evangelism. Uh, You know, this is what we need to do. He says, when was the last time, though, you heard a pastor say to his church, this is what you say to someone about the gospel. This is how you share your testimony in three minutes. What do you do to somebody who's Islamic who tells you that we're serving the same God? We don't do that anymore. But then he, he took it a, a step further. He said, take a look at the churches we have in America and how much debt we have. We have approximately 100,000 churches in America that represent a half, well, $500 billion worth of debt for buildings that are basically sitting there half empty. Meanwhile, there's a half million kids waiting for foster parents or adoptive parents, and I ask the question, where are we? If we are to be the hands and feet of Jesus, where are we? What are we doing? I said, I, I'm glad you're going to school board meetings. Don't just complain. Get involved. I mean, run for school board. Do media. Do politics. And I appreciate that. But then he talked about some of the tougher issues of life. He has a ministry program called Champions for the Brokenhearted that trains churchgoers to support people who are dealing with trauma and pain and to help them heal. You know, it's one thing to say God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, but if you're still wrestling with the problem, if it's still bringing pain to your life, then what good are we as the church? This is a quote from his interview uh, with with, with the Christian Post. Nick said, pastors have to take on sensitive topics. We have to talk about sex trafficking from the pulpit. We have to talk about porn addiction in the church. We have to start talking about these things in real terms. And you know, I, th- I thought sometimes there are some pastors who say, well, you know, I, I really, you know, we don't preach on revelation and we don't talk about same-sex quote-unquote marriage and this, that, and the other thing because, well, you know, our job is just to preach the gospel and sin is sin and et cetera, et cetera. But it got me thinking, okay, if you look at the parables of Jesus, how many times did Jesus say, well, there is sin in the world and I'm coming to overcome the sin in the world? How many times did Jesus start his teaching by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he would look at the crowd and say, the kingdom of heaven is like a shepherd who has 100 sheep in their care, and one of them wanders off. Would he not leave the 99 to go rescue the one? Well, who's he talking to? He's talking to shepherds. That was a problem. Shepherds had to stay up all night. They were the low end on the totem pole. Chance that people would say, well, no, wait, what happens to the other 99 if you... Uh, if you go to get the one. Well, it was kind of a shepherd cooperative, as it were. Hey, guys, one of mine's gone. Keep a look at my 99. I got to go find the one. Okay, that was your job as a shepherd. How many pastors are doing that? I mean, think about porn addiction in the church. The statistics are breathtaking when it comes to 
<coughs> how many people in the body of Christ are wrestling with pornography? One study that I read recently said that two-thirds of men who attend church regularly say that they struggle with pornography. Now, I don't know how they define struggle. Crisis is self-defined. That might mean the guy who is hardcore, using it all the time, addicted to it, apps all over his phones, hiding it from his wife or whatever. Or it could be the guy who has impure thoughts. And remember what Jesus said about impure thoughts. You know, I tell you that a man who even thinks about committing adultery has already committed it in his heart. So the guy who is, you know, just scrolling through Instagram or social media and sees a picture of a pretty woman and goes, ooh, I'm going to go to her site. That, that can be as deadly, as dangerous as the guy who's addicted. Two-thirds of men in the church say they struggle with pornography. How many churches offer specific resources to support their congregation? It's about 7%. And oh, by the way, women aren't getting off the hook on this one. As more and more younger women are using pornography, the statistics indicate that 33% of women who attend church on a regular basis say that they also struggle with pornography as well. So how can the church do a better job of talking about pornography, of dealing with the issue, and bringing healing, not just putting up safeguards? Uh, Sam Black is a former journalist. He's currently the, the director of recovery education for Covenant Eyes. If you remember Covenant Eyes uh, 20 years or so ago, Covenant Eyes was all the rage among Christians. Get Covenant Eyes for your website. That way your son won't look at pornography. Well, Covenant Eyes does a lot more than just put up uh, spam blockers and web filters anymore. And Sam knows firsthand what the stronghold of pornography can be like. He's written a book about this called The Healing Church. What churches get wrong about pornography and how to fix it. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and we're going to be giving away a copy of the book later in the hour. So you know what happens when you tune into the first half hour of The Bottom Line Show. You get first dibs on getting in on the call. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. The number to get you through to The Bottom Line. Sam Black joins me next as The Bottom Line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account, Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. It is an epidemic in the United States today and basically worldwide, but it's the type of issue that doesn't always get a lot of attention in the church because... Quite frankly, the thought is, well, this is happening outside the church, it's happening inside the church. And the issue is pornography. The number of churches who offer resources to support people in their congregation who are wrestling with pornography is relatively small. The number of men and women who attend church on a regular basis who say that they struggle with pornography is exponentially higher than the number of churches who are actually offering resources. So what can the church do? Uh, today here on The Bottom Line, I'm joined by Sam Black, who is the Director of Recovery Education for Covenant Eyes, covenanteyes.com. This is a great online resource that you'll want to learn more about. He's also the author of a brand new book called The Healing Church, What Churches Get Wrong About Pornography and How to Fix It. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Sam Black, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Roger, thank you so much for having me. We're going to have a great conversation, I'm sure of it. Well, I'm looking forward to this because, I mean, obviously the topic is not one that we you know, want to just kind of gloss over. It's not one that you're super excited to have to have the conversation about. But when it comes to pornography, oftentimes the church falls in one of two camps. And camp number one is it's not happening in the church, so we don't have to worry about it. Or camp mm -hmm. number two is the people who use it are so horrible and awful, they're beyond redemption. 
Now, I realize those are two pretty radical extremes, but the reality is with the number of people who are in the church who say that they struggle with pornography, whether it's a so-called casual use or full-blown addiction, the numbers are pretty staggering. Sam, talk about um, the research that you've done at Covenant Eyes that kind of gives us uh, our starting point in terms of how bad's the problem and how ill-equipped is the church. Yes, absolutely. About two-thirds of men in the church and a third of women in the church say they have an ongoing struggle with pornography. So. Mm. Wow. And that comes from Barna. So we're talking about uh, on a broad view of Christianity, many men and women are struggling. 37% of men of all ages say they are viewing pornography multiple times a week. Men 18 to 30 say about 37% say they're viewing it daily. These are Christian men and women, or Christian men, I'm sorry. And about 14% of women say they're watching it multiple times a week. So wow. this is having a, a, a major impact on the church. And I think it's important for us as congregants, as leaders in the church, to understand that pornography is undermining every ministry in the local church. Whether you're thinking about children's ministries, teen ministries, adult ministries, or marriage ministries, and senior ministries— all of them are being impacted by pornography. And you think, well, wait, 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 stop, Sam. We're, we're just talking about teaching children Bible uh, stories, et cetera, in the church. How, how, is that under, how is pornography undermining that? Well, the average age for first exposure for children today is somewhere between the ages of 8 and 12, depending on mm. which story you're looking at. Wow. So those innocent, beautiful, wonderful children are being... Uh, exposed pornography because since 2007, when the iPhone came out, and actually before then, mm -hmm. when iPod came out, there was video access to pornography. And so imagine that you are carrying around in your pocket the world's largest library of pornography ever created in the history of mankind. That's mm -hmm. what's in our pockets today. And so few restrictions have been placed on it because we just never thought we were heading these devices to our kids at such young ages. Um, and, and so often they're just to pacify some time. And I can't tell you the number of parents who said, Hey, this happened on my watch in my kitchen, in my living room, or in the backseat of my car, as we're going down the road to visit friends or whatever, pornography was accessed right there while I'm there. And we just missed the opportunity to have this ongoing conversation, teach, train, and disciple our kids and of course, we've not been, we've not had a good history of doing this for a long time. So even for a, a long time, even when pornography was just magazines, men were being exposed at young ages, between 12 and 14, et cetera, or younger. I often hear about 10. Mm -hmm. And uh, and even though that was magazines that became prolific in their heart, mind, and spirit over time. And so we look at adults and say, hey, you shouldn't be doing that, and missing how impactful that early exposure, the ongoing use through adolescence, and especially some drama or trauma that happened early in life where they began to use pornography, not only uh, because it was interesting and exciting, but because they began using it to anesthetize their feelings and their mm -hmm. moods and emotions to regulate their moods. And so many men and women in the church are struggling because they have like a 500 pound gorilla on their back and they right. don't know how to break free and they need some help. Well, there's a lot to unpack from what Sam Black just shared with us today here on The Bottom Line, and we're going to do our level best. Sam is the Director of Recovery Education for Covenant Eyes. We've got a link for covenanteyes.com up at thebottomlineshow.com. And uh, lest we think that uh, anybody is uh, immune from this conversation as well, uh, Sam, I know that you have also had to walk through a, a journey, you know, of a wrestling with porn addiction, porn use. You mentioned that early exposure, and hey, I'm waving my hand right here. I was nine, I believe. We just moved into a new neighborhood and a kid two do doors down the street. His dad used to subscribe to Playboy. And you remember the little magazine covers they used to have where you could take a year's worth of a magazine like Sunset or something like that? You could put it in there. Well, the, the dad would throw the magazines out and my friend would grab them and put them into one of his mom's magazine covers. So they, were, they kept them in the garage. Nobody knew, right? So one day we're over, we're riding bikes. He goes, hey, I want to show you something. Boom. 
right there, you know, and that was happening with magazines back in 1969, 1970. Now with the advent of the smartphone, it, it, it's seemingly everywhere. And I wonder how many kids, I mean, you talk about the, 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 the sensitization, the desensitization, uh, Sam, of what happens to a young person when they are exposed to this, but sometimes the exposure is something they seek out to try to numb some kind of pain. What does what your research at Covenant Eyes tell you in terms of how much of porn use is fueled by uh, not necessarily the addiction itself, but uh, trying to overcome a trauma that someone experienced at a young age? Right. So, well, the trauma and the, uh, the overcoming the pain and the viewing pornography, they just go hand in hand. They're, they're working mm -hmm. together. So what's interesting to me, Rogers, you told me a story. You didn't say, oh, you know, I saw porn when I was nine. I don't really know what happened. No, you told me a story that included magazine covers and all that. Mm -hmm. Pornography, what you and I saw, though, was nudity. Yeah. What children today see is violent, debasing, mm -hmm. uh, degrading acts that is shows so much ugliness and 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 everything and oh my goodness it's it's horrific don't go looking for it <laughs> trust mm -hmm. me right, it's right. it's terrible and um so it is even more startling more impactful for that for that young brain wow. now there's some things that going on in that young mind now keep in mind that that child you were nine i was 10 uh and that's where many kids are today only often going younger, five, six, seven, eight, mm -hmm. common, uh, commonly, uh, when they see the more debasing, hardcore pornography that's available on devices today, it can be very startling. It can be very impactful. Now, every child is naturally curious about what the opposite sex looks like without clothes. That's absolutely natural. And sometimes they check each other out to be curious, and that's where it typically ends. But when they see pornography, they're seeing adult bodies. And again, these debasing, violent uh, acts of pornography. And dopamine naturally kicks off in response to sexual cues. And even before a child understands what's going on, in fact, when I was exposed at 10, I didn't even understand the basic mechanics of sex. I didn't know what that was, but I didn't step away. I stepped forward and took a closer look. And the reason I can tell you a story about stepping in my parents' home and finding my brother with this magazine and he's 10 years older than me and he's he and his friend are there and the whole bit, right? I can tell you right. the whole you remember. story behind it because dopamine kicks off and it focuses the attention. Now, in God's design, dopamine kicks off and it, and it focuses your attention to the point of tunnel vision where the rest of the world disappears and you're focused on your spouse. That's God's design. And pornography is not... Uh, sex is a hijacking of what God created. Hmm. So yeah, this, well, go ahead. that dopamine also helps burn those neural burn those memories into the brain, oh, especially if it's more shocking where nor norepinephrine can come in, where it was a mm -hmm. surprise, where something uh, was even, especially when it's violent, et cetera, it helps burn those memories into the brain. And that's why it's so impactful on that child's brain. And they typically ask any adult, the first time they saw pornography and they can tell you a full story, mm -hmm. even though they don't remember anything else about that day. Right. Right. It's very, very true. And it's, it's, it, it, it just sears into your soul. And the question then we have to ask, and we're discussing here with Sam Black of Covenant Eyes is what does the church get wrong about pornography? Well, we're beginning to find out the fact that a blind eye and a deaf ear being turned toward this and hoping that somebody's going to get healed <laughs> and, and then they can have a great success story to talk about it or not talk about it. But with 7% of churches offering specific resources to support their congregation, 33% of church going women saying they use pornography on a regular basis, 66% of men saying the same thing. Well, what can the church do? Well, we're going to take a quick break. And on the other side of this break, we're going to continue our conversation with Sam Black. Sam is the Director of Recovery Education for Covenant Eyes. He's the author of a brand new book called The Healing Church, What Churches Get Wrong About Pornography and How to Fix It. We'll talk more about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. You've been in an accident and the worst thing you can do is to wait to contact Stephanie at Cover Law. Stephanie frequently talks to people who waited too long to seek help with their cases or tried to handle them on their own, and by then, it's too late. 
Family and friends mean well, but they can give truly bad advice. Often even trusted advisors will try and convince you to wait for more compensation. Stephanie knows the insurance companies want you to wait. They don't want you to file police reports, and they don't want you to reach out to Stephanie at Cover Law. That's because Stephanie is keenly aware of the tactics they use and why. She spent 20 years litigating for insurance companies and knows the strategy they will use to minimize their liability and your awarded amount. Insurance companies are for profit. They don't share Stephanie's Christian values, and typically they won't be fair to you. Don't deny yourself the ability to get better. Go with a proven expert in the field of personal injury and contact Cover Law at kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R today. Sam Black is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Sam is the Director of Recovery Education for Covenant Eyes, an outstanding ministry that is focused on helping people uh, recover from issues. How do you want to live free of pornography? I mean, that's, it's, it's incredible. Sam also wrote a book about this called The Porn Circuit. It takes a look at the neurological impact of pornography, uh, you know, what it actually does to your brain when you use it over and over again. This new book called The Healing Church, What Churches Get Wrong About Pornography and How to Fix It, is going to be a game changer for that pastor who says, I would love to be able to address this issue in my pulpit ministry, but quite frankly, I just don't have the chops. Well, now you've got the book. Uh, Get it for yourself. Get it for your pastor. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. The number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, the book we're talking about this hour by Sam Black. It's called The Healing Church, What Churches Get Wrong About Pornography and How to Fix It. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, We're going to take a quick break, but by the way, I should point out that we do have one copy of this book to give away, but if you need other resources... Uh, whether it just be a devotional from a guy like David Jeremiah or, or some words of encouragement. We've got calendars from Charles Stanley that have biblical verses and words of encouragement too. Call uh, today, 800-227-5278. Crystal's there. And even if you don't win the book, let her know that you would like a resource that would help in this area. And I'm sure she'll be happy to recommend one. We'll get into the conclusion of my conversation with author Sam Black in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Sam Black is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Sam is the Director of Recovery Education for Covenant Eyes, and he's the author of a brand new book called The Healing Church, What Churches Get Wrong About Pornography and How to Fix It. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Sam, before the break, we were talking about what it is about pornography that impacts us as a culture. You'd mentioned that some of the earliest accidental exposure to pornography is kids as young as eight years of age are, are, are seeing this now. And of course, with the advent of the smartphone and uh, you know more mobile computing, it is a lot easier for kids to kind of stumble into it. But I have to admit, I'm old enough to remember when we heard the term covenantizement, oh yeah, that's that web spam blocking filter type of site. You know, now I realize Covenant Eyes has come a long way since then, but can you take maybe 60 seconds before we get back into our dialogue and talk about not only what you do for Covenant Eyes, but the ministry of CovenantEyes.com? Yeah, so we create uh, software and content to help people stop viewing pornography for good or never start. And one of the things we've done over many years is create accountability software. And accountability software is a little different from filtering software. Now we provide filtering, which blocks things as well. Mm-hmm. But what we really want to do is connect people with one another. So when I'm using Covenant Eyes on my phones, tablets, computers, what I do on my devices goes to several guys that I've entrusted to whom we call allies. And an ally has your back. They care about you. They want to see you succeed. They know your goals. And that's what it's all about. So I can be open and honest about how I'm using my devices with another friend. And that relationship is so key because the opposite of addiction is community. The opposite of addiction is relationship. And so we want to connect one another. You know, one of the foundational truths of the Christian faith is to is James 5:16 to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we yes. may be healed. But we have a hard time with that in the church, right? So we want to really encourage that and help support uh that effort. Now, we also created a new resource called the Victory App by Covenant Eyes. The Victory App by Covenant Eyes you can download it from the Play Store or app um, 
your your app store. And within there is not only where you can uh, receive reports, et cetera, for your friends, but also there's more than 30 courses in there that walk you through understanding, how did I get here? Why do I seem to stay stuck? How can I begin living in real and long-term freedom? Not just, hey, I'm going through this cycle of acting out, feeling shame, going back to it again, and this perfectionism and shame continuing and flipping that coin. We also provide resources for parents, uh, for couples, as they're seeking restoration in their, their marriages, et cetera. It's a great tool. And by the way, the Victory app by Covenant Eyes is free. So you can go get it now. Love that. I absolutely love that. Uh, Sam, let, let's talk about some solutions now. You said something earlier yeah. on. You and I have a similar story in that I was nine, you were 10 the first time we had accidental exposure to, I guess, what we call nudie magazines now. I mean, they're just pictures of girls with no clothes on, you know, <laughs> lying around. That was just, that was considered adult entertainment and pornography. And now it's gotten so much worse. And what we see on regular television. And sometimes I'm walking through a shopping mall and I think, man, if, if I were my grand, my grandson, Isaac will be six in a couple of weeks. And if I were walking through a mall and I had to look at what he has to look at, I don't think I would have survived. I'd be so filled with, filled with curiosity and, and, and questions. And yet at the same time, we're, we're talking about, I mean, you're the director of recovery education for Covenant Eyes. So, I mean, the, the whole idea with what you write on and what you speak on, give presentations on, is how do we get some recovery? But you made a comment, and I wanted to circle back around on. It's like something happens when you experience porn for the first time that kind of leaves you stuck in that. It's so traumatic. It's so difficult to deal with that it kind of leaves you stuck emotionally in that age group. Did I hear you say that correctly in terms of how, I mean, I can imagine what a challenge that would be in a yeah. marriage or at a church, something like that, to have a bunch of 50, 60 year old guys who are walking around and they're really nine or 10. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? So you do, you do remember that story, but many parents worry that, oh, my child has seen pornography. It's, it's they're the, you know, oh my goodness. So they're going to struggle now forever. And really what we need to understand is what we need is open communication with the parent and the child to have non-shaming, redemptive conversations. And Covenant Eyes provides some great resources that you can find at covenanteyes.com forward slash ebooks that can help parents have an ongoing redemptive conversation. Just because exposure has happened, that doesn't mean the end all. So the three common factors of people who often struggle in adulthood or early exposure, the ongoing use and repetition, and again, some drama or trauma that happened early in life. Often, mm. It can happen yeah. elsewhere. But that repetition helps burn those neural pathways in the brain. And so let's take from my own story. I had a, uh, I had a friend and his dad had pornography that was falling out of his closet. It looked like a little bit like a waterfall with a shelf mm -hmm. up top and stacks of pornography and it was falling down and a pile of it on the floor. I could take anything I wanted and I did. And the repetitious use of pornography because it felt good right. uh, was part of it. But I also came, even though I came from a Christian home, it was hypocritically violent and overtly strict in many ways that it, that wouldn't make sense to most people. And somewhere along the line, and this is very common, is pornography not only feels good, but it becomes an escape. And that escapism becomes intertwined. And there's a mind-body-spirit perspective that's, that we need to think about here, that yes, there is a body and a mind that's interacting, but we're... And, and, and we... There becomes a an association, a connection, an attachment between I felt anger, frustration, loneliness, fear, uh, it's lack of self-worth. And then I act out with pornography to escape that. And that becomes part of a routine. And so that escapism, that drama and trauma that was so impactful has impacted how I think about pornography. And it, those, what we call triggers, what I call C triggers, social, mm -hmm. emotional, environmental triggers, have people running back to porn. And they've done it so many times that they have now, it just almost on a subconscious level, they run to it to, to escape how they feel about themselves, how they feel about the world. Uh, if they're bored, uh, just to feel normal now, they're using pornography. So that's mm -hmm. so right. Now, 
that's something that we need help to escape from. And so what we need in the church is a safe place with a safe process of discipleship that leads people to freedom. And I'm not just talking about a Bible study. I'm just not talking about prayer, but understanding, hey, you need to pause for a second. You feel like you're struggling with pornography. Why don't we be just a little bit curious about why that is? Now you, oh, well, I had a bad day at work. Well, okay, what happened at work? And then you just dive into that more deeply and how, how, what, what we, what are we feeling? What are we thinking? What are we doing? And what are we thinking of doing? Because all of those play a role. And as I commune with a brother in Christ about those issues, then I can begin to make better choices. Uh, that authenticity where I really am connecting with others and maybe connecting with a, a sex addiction counselor or a counselor who understands pornography addiction well, that authenticity builds that intimate connection that is contagious. And within a safe place, people hear you are a person, not a problem. Your identity is found in Christ and not in your sin. And as within a discipleship process that is a safe process, people learn to not only escape from pornography, the closets open up, the mm -hmm. darkened corners open up. Mm -hmm. yeah. I begin to live in greater wholeness in Christ and not simply fleeing from some one simple um, struggle that seems like that's the one thing I need to take care of. We need to live in greater wholeness in Christ completely, right? It not yeah. only requires complete surrender, but a greater faith, a greater growth, and it impacts every part of your life. And it is amazing. And what we found here's again, here's some, let me back, let me pause for just a minute here and tell you about some sociological studies we saw. They found the direct correlation between pornography use and church attendance. Scripture reading, prayer life, uh, whether you would volunteer in your church. And when we visited churches that were doing this work well, were they willing to take on tough struggles like this? All of those churches found the reverse of that happening, where people were pressing into their faith. They had a great mm. connection with Christ. They were saying, Pastor, I'll take on that project. I'll do that. Pastors who were doing this work well said, I don't do more work now. I do less. Hmm. So the message to pastors, Sam Black, is appears to be, first of all, acknowledge the fact that pornography is impacting your church. The two-thirds of men and a third of women say that they're struggling with it or it has some kind of hold on their life, number one. Number two, the more we in the church will address this issue, not from the shamey, chastisey, finger-in-the-chest-pointing you know, type of bad right. person you are, but rather saying, okay, you've been impacted by this. We want to help you recover from it. Once mm -hmm. that recovery starts to take root, you can see the fruits of the labor in that people are more engaged in the church. I mean, engaged in serving and living out their faith. And I don't know any pastor that would find a problem with that, quite frankly, Sam Black, do you? And because of that, now all the ministries that have been losing traction to pornography are now gaining greater traction. Amen. It's greater Amen. authenticity. Now they're practicing James 5.16. But often in the church, we have... Uh, we, we live on a spectrum of safety. And on mm. one side of the spectrum is uh, it's totally safe to come to as you are. You're just never called to change. We mm. all have problems. We all have struggles. You know, mm -hmm. God's grace is sufficient. Hey, good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> on the right. other side is it's not okay for Christians to have struggles and strongholds in their life. In fact, if you're if you have a stronghold or struggle in your life, maybe you're just don't belong with us. Yeah, you're not saved because you wouldn't have this problem if you were. <laughs> because that's... if you loved God. Yeah. And and often that's surrounded by some often theological perspectives, mm -hmm. denominational perspectives, because yep. our denomination is different. We don't have that problem in our denomination because we either have the power of the Holy Spirit or we love God more or we have, we're some kind of exceptionalism that makes us different. Mm. We're not if you're struggling, then you're not part of our exceptionalism. What I found over 16 years at Covenant Eyes is I haven't found any denominations with any exceptionalism. <laughs> they're all, they're all yeah. struggling. And what's interesting is they're not going to their church. They're going to find help 
help and hope. They're going to another church to find a group that they can participate in, and then they go back to their church. They're not leaving mm-hmm. the church, but they're seeking other churches for help. Mm-hmm. And what we want in those churches that are to help is where you can come as you are. It's safe to come as you are with all your problems, with all your struggles, just as you do to Christ, who knows all of this anyway, right? But we love you too much to leave you the same. Amen. In a Amen. You on a, we understand that this is going to be a journey. You know, sometimes, listen, God can do anything. He frees addicts from alcohol and drugs and pornography and you name it. But sometimes he causes us, in fact, oftentimes he causes us to follow him with childlike faith when the discipleship of others, right? We like to walk it alone. We like to have these private little confessions mm, Yeah, and don't let anybody else know how we're struggling. But that's not what James 5.16 teaches us. He says to confess to one another. And Roger, when I come to you and I talk to you about this and you go, well, let's dive a little deeper. Let's find some resources that we can help guide us on a journey toward living in real freedom. Now I'm empowered to do so much more. Yes, boy, that is that is huge. And it's so wonderful to know of a ministry like Covenant Eyes, but also a resource like this brand new book by Sam Black that will be a game changer for pastors and for lay people in the church. Its book is called The Healing Church, What Churches Get Wrong About Pornography and How to Fix It. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Sam, thank you for the work that you've done and the ministry that you have built uh, as part of your uh, teamwork there at uh, Covenant Eyes. And uh, God's richest blessings to you and your family as this book continues to heal and help other people. And we look forward to another conversation, hopefully soon, uh, to continue this discussion. And by the way, you can download the introduction in the first chapter for free at that just suggested at thehealingchurch.com. Perfect. All right. We'll put that link up as well. Sam, thanks so much for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Thank you. God bless you. Boy, what a powerful discussion and a vital resource uh, that every church should have, in my opinion. Uh, Sam Black's book, The Healing Church, What Churches Get Wrong About Pornography and How to Fix It, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. We're also going to link Sam Black's book, the porn circuit as well. This is a guy who worked for uh, in the journalism world for almost two decades before he joined Covenant Eyes about 15 years ago. And uh, uh, this new book, The Healing Church, is the one that kind of puts it right between your eyes if you're a pastor. 66% of men who attend church regularly say they struggle with pornography. 33% of women who attend church regularly say they have the same struggle. And only 7% of churches offer specific resources and support to their congregations with regard to pornography. So the book, The Healing Church, What Churches Get Wrong About Pornography and How to Fix It is something you must read. And we are giving away a copy right now just to kind of prime the pump. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Now, of course, all the news, that that actually is good news that more and more churches are, uh, are, are stepping up to the plate and saying we want to offer these kinds of resources but when you talk about people of faith i was mentioning earlier nick vliacic saying and why are churches talking more about uh pornography in uh, the pulpit why aren't we doing more running for a church council and this that and the type of the other thing uh when we take we take a quick break and when we come back i want to talk about the aftermath of roe versus wade here we are uh 14 months 13 14 months after the passage of Roe versus Wade, uh, the Dobbs decision that overturned it. Um, What are people in the church, what are pro-life communicators doing to actually help and to prove they're not just pro-birth, but actually pro-life? Some good news to report from several Republican-controlled state legislatures about this. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. My thanks again to Sam Black, the author of the book, The Healing Church, which is up at thebottomlineshow.com. This is basically what churches get wrong about the battle on pornography and how to fix it. Sam, of course, the director of education at Covenant Eyes, which is a great uh, website and resource. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Um, we've got one copy of the book to give away, but as I mentioned earlier, uh, mention to Crystal if you are looking for resources that would help, like a devotional or something like that. And if you don't win the book, we've got other things that we can give away to. want to get as many people the help they need as possible. Um, at the start of the hour, if you didn't get a chance to hear, if you're listening just like on KCBC and you just tuned in, 
um, I want to encourage you to go back to thebottomlineshow.com and check out the uh, the full uh, the full <laughs> full effect, if you will, of uh, this hour in talking about ways that the church can get involved, ways that people in the body of Christ can make an impact in the culture and really preach the gospel by, you know, what does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Let your light so shine before men that they would see your good works. And as C.S. Lewis said, that they wouldn't see you, but they would see through you to see God in you doing these works. And you know, we're 13 months past the overturning of the Roe versus Wade decision, Dobbs versus Jackson out of uh, Mississippi, which basically upheld a 15-week abortion ban in Mississippi, but it also basically said there is no federal law that requires states to uh, legally or legally abort children. And in the aftermath, of course, the, the left armed and got, you know, went nuts. Just, well, democracy's at risk and the judges are overstepping. The, 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 some of the same people who loved it when guys like Justice Kennedy invented a constitutional right to privacy for homosexuality, who invented the quote-unquote same-sex marriage bill, uh, who invented, well, not Kennedy, but I mean, they basically invented a woman's right to privacy being the key for federalizing the legalization of abortions. All of a sudden, now when the judges look at the Constitution the way it's supposed to be read, all of these judges are rewriting laws and history, and this isn't very good. So then there was a mad scramble. They realized, hey, we better start passing laws that legalize abortion. And like here in the People's Republic of California, I mean, they just went ahead and institutionalized it into the state constitution. So the question is, well, now that Roe versus Wade has been overturned for a year, what is being done on the sanctity of human life side of the equation? And the good news is quite a bit. Uh, several Republican-controlled state legislatures have been pushing for expanded protection for mothers and children in low-income households. And it's interesting because these are places where, um, you know, those who said, well, abortion is, if, if abortion is illegal, then these women who are in you know, bad shape are going to have a, a hard time making it. They need abortion because, you know, it's like health care. Well, take, for example, Mississippi. The uh, state legislature passed a bill recently uh, in the lower chamber, and it's going to their state assembly, um, Senate Bill 2212. Uh, it's, it's gone to uh, Governor Tate Reeds, who's going to sign it because it's a pro-life measure. It would extend postpartum Medicaid coverage for new mothers from 60 days, where it is right now, two months, to a full year. Now, it's interesting because uh, Mississippi basically had a trigger law that would say if, if Roe versus Wade was ever overturned, it would automatically become illegal to abort a child in Mississippi, uh, with the exceptions of the case of rape or incest or if the pregnancy threatens the mother's life. Now, for those who are concerned about that language leaving the door wide open, um, you know, the, the Charlotte Lozier Institute in Texas uh, estimates that 97% of abortions are elective. Only 3% fall into the category of rape, incest, or if the pregnancy threatens the mother's life. So that, that basically is as complete a ban as you're going to get. In Wyoming, a law completely banning abortion went into effect uh, in July. It's currently being challenged in courts, of course. Um, and that, that state's Republican Governor Mark Gordon also signed House Bill Number 4, which extends Medicaid coverage for postpartum mothers. It was 90 days in Wyoming. Uh, now it's a year. Now, according to the governor's website, they say that there were anywhere between 1,000 and 2,000 low-income mothers in Wyoming who are going to benefit. Montana is considering a permanent refundable $1,200 per child tax credit for working families as long as you make less than $56,000 a year. The governor is also proposing, and I'm hail and hearty for this one, a $7,500 adoption tax credit. Now, the, uh, the Montana House of Appropriations Committee tabled it, though it did pass the House Taxation Committee and had bipartisan support. Uh, Montana also wants to focus on doubling the state's earned income tax credit. Here's the deal. You're seeing more legislatures stepping up and saying, okay, if we are truly going to be the, the state that says we support the sanctity of human life, then we better make sure that we're helping not just saying, okay, it's illegal to abort a child, we've done our work. But what about that mom who is in a low income situation? Her health insurance was Medicaid when the baby was born. 
and the baby's health insurance is going to go until it, following the pregnancy, mom gets Medicaid coverage for postpartum depression, this, that, and the other thing. It used to be 60 days in Mississippi. Now it's a year. It used to be 90 days in Montana. Now it's going to be a year. Wyoming, same thing. This is a good first step these states are taking, and I'm thrilled to share this good news with you. We'll put this article up at thebottomlineshow.com as well. Some final thoughts in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and last at least 10 years. Now take that cost, $15,000, and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. KBrightRadio.com. Hit the Preborn banner right now. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh talking about the sanctity of human life, one of those uh, issues that doesn't always make its way into the pulpit. And I want to thank Robert in uh, Lake Elsinore and also Gilbert, uh, who called in with donations to preborn uh, within the past 24 hours. Uh, one donation for uh, the, the, the $28 a month, which we absolutely love, and another one for uh, a couple hundred dollars here. We've still got Dennis Wilson's matching gift that we're working off right now. And uh, I'm grateful that uh, that Dennis and uh, his team have put this together. I should mention that uh, it was Robert calling in from San Diego with a $140 donation and Gilbert calling in from Lake Elsinore with a $28 a month donation. Gilbert's donation will help uh, get a mom get an ultrasound um, once a month and then uh, Robert's will save five children basically. So thank you for Robert and Gilbert for calling in those donations. I mentioned Dennis Wilson's matching gift to get an ultrasound machine is still in place. And I'll just let you in on a little secret. Dennis and I were talking the other day. He's anxious to do more of the sponsoring. <laughs> he's he's ready to go. He's saying, tap me in here. So, But we have to use up the first matching gift, $7,500. He's used about $3,000 of it. Who's ready to write that $4,500 check today so we can get one more ultrasound machine in a preborn clinic? Statistically, 85% of the time a woman goes to have that free pregnancy test, which she'll have to pay for at Planned Parenthood, and get to see the ultrasound imaging, which she won't be able to see at Planned Parenthood, but she will be able to see at a preborn clinic. 85% of the time she chooses life for her child, either to be a mom or to release that child for adoption. Make your best tax-deductible donation today when you call 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, or go to kbrightradio.com. KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. And Rabbi Schneider with Discovering the Jewish Jesus coming up next. For those who remain on the network, it is time for this week's edition of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, where we handicap the GOP presidential debates. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues.